0: You're listening to a podcast from au, where we celebrate talented Australian writers and their books.
1: I am really excited about my interview with Graham Simpson. Catching up with one of my favourite authors is always a joy. And uh, I've caught him at the airport in between <laughs> in between appearances. Welcome, Graham. Welcome to the show.
0: Thanks very much, Suzanne. Nice talking to you.
1: I have got so much to ask you, um, but I want to start with Graham the man. <laughs> And uh, I've I've looked a little bit into your background and some of the exciting things you've done. And I think you're a bit of a larrikin.
0: <laughs> oh, look, I, I don't really think so. What makes you think that?
1: Well, you've done some very exciting things. There's this uh, combi trip around Australia in a 1962 combi there's your flirtation with uh, marathons okay so, so, so
0: let, let me interrupt you right there yes. because I, I think there's a couple of things one one I think you know me as a person is probably only interesting to um your authors and aspiring authors out there insofar as it impacts upon how I write and, and what I write and you know we, we do tend to write what we know but um Mac uh Maxine Beneva-Clark wrote an article for the Saturday paper a little while ago, a little profile about me. And she sort of pointedly said, you know, white, middle-aged, male, (laughs) middle-class, etc. And the truth is, I have probably had a reasonably interesting life for a white middle-class male you know, brought, up, brought up in Australia. So I've done yes. a bunch of things, but they certainly don't compare with the, the life adventures, the stories that, um, that people who have come from more straightened circumstances, mm. um, more exotic places, um, mm-hmm. and often you know, far, far, more, um, far more strife than me um, have come from. Um, so I don't think my life story of itself um, is particularly interesting.
1: Well, I found it quite interesting the bits that I read because I thought, well, you're a man who likes to experience things, and and from my experience of interviewing authors, um, successful authors, uh, as we know, don't write in a vacuum; they draw on their experiences. And uh, so, is this is this true for you?
0: Oh, look, it's particularly true for me um, that. Um One of the things I discovered, I started off um, studying screenwriting before I I studied um, novel writing, before I started prose writing. And I found a lot of the people studying screenwriting were quite young and they were film buffs. And they got a lot of their ideas from the world, um, indirectly, second-hand from films. I'm thinking particularly of something like um, working in a large corporation. Many of them would never have had that experience. So if they want a, a boss of a large corporation, then they've got Mr Burns as their role model, not, <laughs> not any direct experience. And, and that role yes. model is, is second-hand already, and, yes. and what they're doing is stereotypes without it offering us any new insights, anything new about it. Now, because I'm older, I'm now well into my 50s, um, and I've come to writing quite late in life I think one of the things I can bring to it is a reasonable amount of life experience to draw on. I mean young people haven't had the experience of being old <laughs> I've at least, even though it's a while away now <laughs> I,
1: I can relate to that very very much <laughs> I've, had the expe-
0: I've had the experience of being young and in fact mm. I just wrote a short story for the big issue just mm. a, a few weeks ago um, mm. around writing about my experiences as I was 19 or 20 as well as I could recall them. So mm. you have that that broader range to draw on mm. and I'm very Conscious in my writing, not to go to secondary sources, to, to try mm. to write as much as I can from my from my own background, and then you know, obviously asking yes. what if and so forth, but taking the characters, the situations, the locations as much as I can from my own my own experience.
1: Yes, yes. Um, in fact, you mentioned your screenwriting career, and um, and we'll get to the book in a minute. But <laughs> but um, you had written um, uh, the uh, Rosie Project. As a screen uh, play, and I also noticed that you are quite an accomplished filmmaker. <laughs> well, well look, again,
0: I think you've got to put this in perspective. Um, I I, st- I studied screenwriting. Yes. And I now have some credit as a screenwriter primarily because of The Rosie Project, which, which made its mark as a novel. I it opened
1: a lot of doors it for did. you, didn't it? Yeah.
0: I mm. couldn't get the, the screenplay um, for The Rosie Project, which was, which was its original incarnation. I could not get that up. I couldn't get, mm. I could get producers, mm. but I couldn't get funding for it. And it's mm. tremendously hard to break into film as a newbie. Yes. I mean, in fact, you know, most of the or time... Or into
1: the writing world. Well, no,
0: no, thing. I think it's much easier to break into the writing world. Do you Think so. Oh, mm. I know so. Right. Um, you just look at the number of novels that are published every year, compare it with the number of films made, right. and then compare it with the number of original films made that are not yes. adaptations of novels. Because this is the thing right. a huge number of films, if you look out there, they're mm. either adaptations of novels or sequels to adaptations of novels. Yes, so, yes. So it's tremendously That's right. hard to break in with yes. something new and original. So, um, so, okay. I, you know, my, my my history as a screenwriter is that I studied screenwriting, wrote yes. the Rosie Project screenplay, and then because the book was successful, I yes. got the opportunity to rewrite that screenplay, and I'm a member of the Writers Guild of America and all sorts of yes. very strong yes. credentials now as a, as a screenwriter, but yeah, they all <laughs> came through the back door.
1: Well, yet I, I, I remember reading on... You've got a very good website that gives a lot of information and you mentioned on your website that you actually failed when you did the screenwriting course the first off was it one of the units in the screen did not submit or did not (laughs)
0: submit and you can take that whichever way you like um (laughs) but but it was a bit like did not lie down and submit because I had a fairly um I wouldn't say combative that's too strong a word but an intense relationship with my with my screenwriting teacher and at the end of the year he really said look it's not good enough and he was going to pass me. I might well have got quite a yes. good mark, but I thought, no, if it's not good enough, I'm going to come back next year and make it good enough. So I, I chose to fail the subject.
1: So there's a bit of a perfectionist in you. Well,
0: not even not that. Um, I just knew how hard it was mm. to get something up um, mm. in Hollywood, which is what I was aiming for, even to mm. be made in Australia. Mm. And, and I realised that it was no good saying, look, this suffices, this passes the, the exam. That mm. it had to be really, really good to get there. Um, and I just needed to give it every chance I possibly could. So mm. there's, no, you know, I, I often sort of, I think people think I'm showing off about how much work I put in when I was studying screenwriting. Mm. I made, you talked about me being a filmmaker, I made mm. a, about a dozen short films. I don't think anybody mm. on my screenwriting course made more than two. Mm. Um, but it's not because I have some this fantastic work ethic or I'm just mm. a, a wonderfully good person. It's just that I realised that if mm. I was going to make it, I was going to have to do a lot of work because That's otherwise... Right. I would make it. It's a principle of life, isn't it? it? Well, it's as simple as that.
1: You get out what you put in.
0: I mean, I had had quite a long career before I started doing the writing, and probably the most important thing I took out of that career was how long it had taken me, how much work it had taken me to become an expert in my field. Yes. And I thought I'm gonna to have to be that good in the writing field. Therefore my expectations I think were set in terms of how much work I would have to do and how long it would, would take, were probably a bit more realistic than some of the the younger people coming in. Because yes. I mean if you're if you're twenty-two and you don't think yes. you're gonna get anything sort of serious until you're twenty-eight or something, it's just yes. oh come on, give me a break. But if you wanted to be a brain surgeon you'd have that expectation
1: exactly exactly and that brings me to to a point I was reading some of the reviews and you had some fabulous reviews there but I oh I all the but that, no 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 <laughs> but there not was at one at all no not at all um, what I'm saying is that um, one of the reviewers actually mentioned about the um, polished writing the meticulously judged writing I'm talking about Helen Elliot in The Age that was very meticulously lovely, right. judged writing and the fact that this is his first novel is astonishing and we'll get to that um, and she said it's hand polished writing and I, I would have to agree with her having uh, read my copy of <laughs> The Rosie Project I think what makes it really really special and I'm talking as a reader now and a, and a fan is that Okay, it's a romantic comedy. It's you know rom com they call it, Mm. but I think what's really special about it is that it has substance and it talks about relationships that has some psychological, sociological values. And I think that that substance is what's missing in in a lot of books today.
0: Well, it's funny, you know, I was talking at a university in Northern England, and someone, you know, literature students. put her hand up and she said tell me do you ever feel disgusted with yourself for writing genre and my my answer was just because a story has a certain shape uses certain tropes if you like doesn't mean that it can't examine the most intellectual, the most important, uh, the most profound of issues, mm. nor does it mean that it can't engage us emotionally in the most mm. profound way. Um, no. You know, it's not about whether it's genre or non-genre, uh, or it doesn't, and They're also, just labels. And, so, and let me add, because I should add this one if we're, if we're comparing it with, with you know, literary fiction, yes. nor is there any reason why it shouldn't use the most beautiful prose, the most well-constructed sentences and paragraphs, the best possible use of language. So, I don't think you wrote, you know, it's very polished prose despite being a romantic comedy. All that is really saying is that there is some work in the, I think probably more in the romance area, because, because romance... Um, is is a literary genre, yes. Uh, uh, whereas and it gets a bit com-
1: of a bad rap. Too. <laughs> yeah. Whereas whereas
0: romantic comedy is really a film genre. There's not actually that many. There are not that many actually that many books right. that you would call romantic comedy. There's, there's this one, you know, the, you know, the Rosie Project. There's Bridget Jones's Diary, mm. and you start to fall away quite quickly into what we, was true romantic comedy, maybe about a boy. Or, but you know, mm. no, the, you start to go down different yes. different sorts of paths. Um, but um, yeah, sure. Just because there was some, some really trashy romance written doesn't mm-hmm. mean that romance... Formulaic. Yeah, formulaic. <laughs> doesn't mean that someone can't take that basic shape, that Jane Austen can't take that, the latter-day Jane Austen, whatever, can't take that basic shape and write brilliant prose, witty oh, prose, engaging having prose. Said
1: that, having said that, Graham, I used to own a bookshop, <laughs> a, a little niche, beautiful bookshop in, in Marnica, which is the Double Bay of Canberra. Yes. It was a lovely little bookshop and I was horrified when all the reps used to say, well, you know romance is the highest selling genre, Mills and Boone. And I you know, I, I was just surprised. Just Look so a lot surprised. of a
0: lot of McDonald's gets eaten and it doesn't exactly. mean it doesn't mean that there isn't a place for McDonald's and for restaurants and so mm. forth. I, I guess look my, my wife um, for some time wrote um, wrote uh, Erotic Romance yes. and, and she was churning out you know three or four or five books a year. Mm. And if you're doing that, I don't mm. think you can reasonably put your head up, hand up and say, I'm not being treated fairly by the critics and not enough yes. of this is being reviewed and so forth. That's right. Because I think that's the equivalent of asking that, um, yeah, that why aren't the restaurant critics reviewing all the McDonald's branches and yes, so forth? They have yes. a role too. tasting um, but, but they yeah. are... Yeah, but... But on the other hand, if someone spends the time crafting and polishing mm. their prose, then I think it has every right to be taken seriously.
1: Mm. And I think, Graeme, uh, you know, across the... Uh, I looked at a couple of the short films of yours, uh, The Prisoner's Dilemma, that's yeah. on your website, and then I went and had a look at The Push-Up. Yeah. Now, I was just um, stunned with The Push-Up. I think uh, that was almost... moved Almost moved me to tears, because... That's a real human... Uh, you know human story there about relationships and and yeah. relationships well, that this don't.
0: is this is what i write prisoner's yes. dilemma was a bit of an odd one off in fact it's actually a film of a play so the sound quality right. is pretty ordinary and, and so on. but but it know, was
1: still a good script oh, yeah. and yeah. I, I wondered if that was the uh, inspired by the bali nine at all no no no, 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 no. It, was it was quite some time that. ago
0: quite mm. some time, i did it years ago um, and it was mm. actually a 10 minute play for short and sweet um right. I, I think and this is again because i'm talking to, to authors here yes. i did some short plays I did some short films I've done short stories and of course the the novels I've also written non-fiction um Mm. I I think that moving across genres is very good for you it pushes you out of your comfort zone it teaches you to look at things differently I'm not a particularly visual person but people Mm. say they can really see the scenes in the Rosie project I'm Mm. so proud of that and the Rosie effect as well I'm so proud of that
1: say in, in one of your short stories your imagination is what really drives all of this. You've got a very good imagination.
0: Look I, I, look, I have an imagination but, but you know, if I look at my strengths and weaknesses I would have said coming into this mm. one of my weaknesses is my sense of, my visual sense but mm. the, the screenwriting helped me improve that. Yes. It's, it, it, I'm never going to be good enough to be a film director right. well not unless I work very 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 hard, yes. I, I don't have talent at that
1: It's not but, your main aspiration
0: But but I've managed to shore up a weakness in my in my prose writing by having that that other side. Yes. Play writing plays. I think in te- screenplays for that matter teaches you a lot about making your dialogue sharp. So something yes. like Prisoner's Dilemma is all about having sharp dialogue and yes. so forth because that's what you're, that's what you're working with. So um, in studying too, if I can just yeah. divert a little bit. Um, one of the things I remember, a short story teacher, Anya Volvitz, would um, would make us write short stories on topics that were way outside my comfort zone, things I would never have written about. And the beauty of that, it just it just strengthens you in, in um, stretches you. It yeah. stretches you, and as a result, you have a, a bigger toolkit to to write from. So, but but to come back to um, to push up and, and so on, my my interest is largely in writing um, relationship stories. From a male point of view, yes. uh, not only, but 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 that's where it's I'm easier. coming from. That's where I'm coming from. I've written a couple yeah. from a female point of view, but largely no. I want to write from a, uh, I want to, I want to write about men like me, I guess. Who um, look, I was on a panel at, at Batemans Bay Writers Festival, yeah. and and I said that, you know this is my space, and somebody on the panel said, oh God, you know, in effect, we hear enough from you know white middle aged you know, males. They've got a loud they've got a loud voice in our community, yeah. and there are people who have no voice. Now, I would say yes and no. I would say yes, white middle-aged males have a huge voice in politics and so forth, but it's a voice about issues and so forth it's not so much an insight into who they are, where they come from. You know, somebody who pillories the Prime Minister, you know, this mm. says, you know, this man's, you know, da, da. man's... Mm. OK, what do you understand about where he's coming from? What do you understand mm. about why he's doing these things that you object to? Yes. And there's not a lot of understanding. And when that person then ends up on the page of a book, he's a cardboard cutout instead of somebody with motivations that we can relate to.
1: Mm. Would you agree that I heard somewhere recently that um, males when they get together mainly talk about issues whereas females talk about feelings and emotions would you agree with that or is that too stereotypical
0: look i think there's i I think like most stereotypes there's a grain of truth often a great lump of truth in it um i think that men um certainly of my generation um can be uncomfortable talking about emotions as a group and and they have um some of them find find ways of doing that. there's a little short story i worked on that I've, i've tossed aside, but it's now actually a big theme in the novel I'm writing, uh, tentatively called The Best of Adam Sharp, and it's the idea that men talk a lot, for example, about music. It's a very common topic of conversation, and often their response to music is, is, a, is a subtext for communicating their emotions. For you know, um, sometimes you, know, you want to see a man. It's an
1: acceptable
0: way. You want, you want to see a man crying. He's listening to some song. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's not because you know, somebody died. It's because he's listening to a song that reminds him of some, something, and it's, it's right. sort of a socially acceptable thing. Mm. So. Um, but I mean, what, what's fun about writing about men in particular and, and emotions is that they are not going to talk explicitly about them, perhaps to the extent that, that well, let's say, to the extent that women in chicklet novels do, yes. or that women on um, soap operas do, um, which is somewhat unrealistic anyway. But they will, they will, they will talk about other things, and you pick it up in the subtext. And, and of course, you know, good writing um, is partially, at least, about about things in subtext. So men give you a wonderful um, chart shot at that because they're doing their their mumbly interactions and so forth. And and you, as a writer, try to communicate to the reader. But what he's really saying there is he's desperate for some support, or he's thought about killing himself, or something really yeah, serious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so in this little story, I, the story I had I was playing with was called Three Men and the Truth, and it's about a guy who's left his wife, and his two buddies come around to talk to him. All they do is talk about about music but, but it actually comes out that all three of them have massive issues in his life. One's left his wife, one's contemplating suicide and one's yes. in a very unhappy marriage and not sure what to do. Yes. And just through talking about music and so forth, they provide some support yes. for each other. And that's, that's a fun thing to write because of the mm. it, it was just the guy folding his arms, saying things aren't going too well at home with my wife. What? How are you feeling about that? Well, I'm feeling really devastated. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, it's not too, the readers. Not, not the, the way. Nobody, <laughs> yeah. no, nobody's doing any work.
1: No, that's right. And um, so it interests me whether you've actually got any background in sociology because a lot of this uh, is really sociological. Well,
0: know, look, uh, look, I think uh, it's psychological for, yes. for me because you're dealing with individuals rather than groups. Um, I don't know if that's a good distinction between sociology and um, and psychology, but certainly I think of myself mm-hmm. in my book that I'm dealing only with individuals. I'm not trying to make yes. any... Don Tillman is not meant to be an Asperger's archetype. He's meant to be not. a human being with Asperger's. So yes. he's one person. So I'm dealing with individuals all the time, and if someone wants to extrapolate that or you know, generalise that and say, well, that, that's about, mm-hmm. that tells me anything about Asperger's, well, well great. Um, so I think we're looking at psychology and mm-hmm. I think that I think that a writer has to be um, a student of human dynamics, not necessarily psychology per se, but Mm. they need to know how people work in groups and so on. So, So my background there is that for many years I taught consulting skills. So I used to run a consultancy and when my, when my staff would get into trouble it was very seldom they lacked the technical expertise these were information technology guys but you know, every time something went wrong it was an interpersonal problem they knew their stuff but they hadn't listened they were laying it on somebody all that they were dishing out advice but it wasn't asked for so when I sold that business I, I started giving courses in... Um, in consulting skills, and I taught at the university, masters level, and so on, and this at MBAs, and, and so on. That became my thing for a while, but yes. I was supporting myself through the writing course, and that was that was a, a good platform for me for thinking about how people work together. The other one is that I've been married to a psychiatrist, um, Anne Buse, who's now a professor of psychiatry yes. uh, for 26 years. Um, so a lot
1: of your conversations would involve this sort of thing. <laughs> well,
0: not only that, she's a fantastic reference point, mm. um, so I can say to her, so if if, if um, in the in the book I'm currently writing if someone's father left home when he was when the kid was 14 would that be an age where the kid might blame himself for not Keeping the father at home, or we got too old. And you say no, no, that's absolutely right. It's an adolescence? So I've got, I've got the background, yes, and my, my intuition about it is so She's reinforced. your sounding
1: board. How a- absolutely. good
0: is that? It's fantastic. And
1: of course, does that work in reverse when she's writing her? I noticed she's got a fabulous book out called Medea's Curse. Yeah.
0: Okay, so you, she, let me tell you, she's <laughs> got a guy. She's got a guy in Medea's Curse, who, who is a married man and he's having an affair with the protagonist, right? Right. So, so Anne says to me, so if you were a married man having an affair, what would you do? I think, hang on. <laughs> this is a loaded question. This is qu- a dangerous <laughs> question. <laughs> I don't think I... What I'll, did you say? I'm not quite sure i can't I'm going.
1: imagine such a thing. <laughs>
0: I was like, I've got this friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Uh, but, but, but look, one of the funny things about writing is that um, people really have challenges writing across uh, writing the other gender you say the other gender there's as many um, Mm. genders but in simple terms Mm. men have trouble writing women and women have trouble writing Mm. men to some degree at least Uh, more so than they have trouble writing someone from another culture writing somebody from another age particularly so it's, it's quite it's helpful. That men are from it's, Mars, women are from yeah, Venus. Yeah, <laughs> it's just quite helpful, particularly as I'm writing relationship stories, yeah. um, to just have someone to bounce it off and say, does that make sense? Does that feel realistic?
1: Yes, yes. Well, I think that it comes through in all of your work. And it's interesting that um, you mentioned, um, you know, the, um, the uh, stereotype of... Um, what you do in your book, I think, does a real... Uh, Service, should I say, to the labelling of people with Asperger's, uh, because they are they are people first, and Asperger's is just one aspect of their character, really, isn't it? Um, Absolutely,
0: yeah. And that's
1: yeah, that's something I would imagine a lot of people you would have been asked in a lot of interviews, are you on the spectrum? Yeah, I'm asked all. I'm asked all the time. You would be asked that all the time, and I think. Well, I think it's an irrelevant question, quite frankly. Well,
0: this is part... In a way, it's half um, praise and half insult. Hmm. Um, I take it as an insult because people are saying to me, you could only write this character if you were that you were. character. In other words, you're not a smart enough... N- you're not a good enough author yes. that you can make it up, as yes. it were. Um, but, but it's praise... And that they think I've done a good enough job. <laughs> they think the only way I could have done it <laughs> it's w- a was to actually be. But I mean, I'm looking. I'm looking forward. I mean, the first two books um, have Don Tillman as protagonist, mm. but the next book has um, an English um, pianist um, right. who, who covers his insecurity with being a know-it-all. Which is a pretty right. different character from, from Don Tillman. Absolutely. So I'm fascinated yeah. to know whether people put their hands up and say, Are you Adam Sharp? And, yeah, and in fact, they,
1: will. they have.
0: My first readers have come back, and one of the first readers said, Well, he's obviously you. And I yeah. said, Well, that's terrific. But I can't be him and, I can't, and Don Tillman at the same time. <laughs> obviously, you bring something of yourself to characters. Yes. And I think you have to no. inhabit them. But people also forget that there's more than one character in a book. I think one of the great mm. lessons for me from screenwriting mm. was that when you write a screenplay let's, let's imagine I've got the Rosie project here let's mm. imagine that um, you know, Kerry Mulligan is being cast to play Rosie she's yes. going to read this and let me tell you she's not reading Don Tillman's lines she's no. reading Rosie and let's yes. imagine we've got Alec Baldwin he's going to play Gene um, Yes. Alec Baldwin is reading this for Jean. So yeah. you have to be able to say, and say, what's my motivation? Why would mm. I do this? And so mm. this is inconsistent. Mm. Um, so screenwriting really teaches you that you're going to have to deal with your character coming back to you and saying, what's my motivation? Yes. And it means all your characters, even the most minor characters, yes. have to stack up and be properly motivated. And a little yeah. technique I'd suggest to, to authors sometimes is when you've written your book and your draft, go back and reread it from the point of view... Of your second most important character, oh, it might that's be the a really
1: interesting thing. And to then do.
0: go and do yes. it for the third, um, and it, it can often be it can be quite revelatory. Um, yes. you know, are they consistent? Is their voice consistent? Just imagine you're the yes. actor reading for that character yes. and make sure that everything that they're doing also makes sense.
1: Because of course, the two most difficult things to write, I think, are dialogue and sex scenes. <laughs> uh, to get them just right.
0: Well, okay. Well, my. Well my I don't have too much advice on, dia- on dialogue, except mm. to work at it. Mm. Screenwriting helped me with dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, screenwriting teaches you never to write dialogue more than a page, so right. you, you break yes. out of it, even though dialogue flows along very well. Mm. So it teaches you to be concise with your dialogue. So you st- mm. you stylise your dialogue as you have little time yes. to get more information across than you would um, in uh, in real life. So it, right. it teaches you, screenwriting teaches you to write sharp sharp dialogue sharp, yeah. and you're, you're, taught, you're often told in screenwriting, take out the first line of dialogue and take out the last line of dialogue and see if it still works. Oh, really? And quite, really? Yeah, and quite often you that. can do that. Yep, yeah. take out the first bit of a scene, take out the last bit of the scene. Chances right. are your reader will be smart enough to pick up... To
1: work it out. To,
0: you know, if, our, if it's good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, our conversation, you come mm. and say, so tell me about the Rosie Project, Gran And I answer, well, the Rosie Project is about, do we need your line?
1: No. Not really, right. it's a formality. Interesting. So, you know, yeah. so, so
0: we... So you really work to cut the dialogue as sharp as you, as you possibly can. That's
1: great advice. The, the yeah. other
0: advice is, is um, I mean, people should know this, but you don't want to use dialogue for exposition. One of my screenwriting teachers used to say, if, if you put, as you know, Bob, in front of the, <laughs> the words, you don't want to, as you know, Bob, you and I have hated each other for a long time. <laughs> yes, yes. And as you know, Jeff, I've come here to sort this out. But, 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 out. but, but yeah. of course, what, yeah. what, what solves that problem is, is conflict. Because people will say things that other people already know when they're in a conflictual situation. Twenty five years of marriage and you will never take the garbage out. <laughs> <If> <laughs> yes. it's in conflict. Yes. As you yes. know, Bob, and twenty five years of marriage you never take the <laughs> garbage. But as you know. <laughs> Yeah,
1: that's great.
0: Yeah, so so the other thing, of course, is is the sex that you asked about. And and the the Rosie Project doesn't have a lot of sex in it at all, virtually none. And that's because it's Don Tillman's character um, to be a little prudish in some ways, a little biological about it in a very precise sense. And... Then in the um, in the Rosie effect we have a little bit more, but it's still Don Tillman's rather reticent, low key, laconic sort of voice. You know, I learnt to dance, I learnt to make cocktails. And now I was going to learn to make to do sex. That was going to be pretty interesting too. Um, the, but the, the book I'm writing at the moment, uh, the best of Adam Sharp. Is um, has a lot of sex in it's because that is appropriate to the story. It's about an affair followed by a rekindling of the relationship many, many years later. And the thing that's interesting about the sex, and so sex is a part of the story. And right. one of the things that makes the sex, I think, interesting is that we're talking about people 45 and over in the second phase of the book. Which
1: and of course, young people often think that people over 45 don't <laughs> don't indulge. I took
0: I took a scene to <laughs> class from this. And when I was studying, because I actually drafted this about three years ago, I took a scene to class, and it's basically the forty-five-year-old woman seducing the uh, the forty-nine-year-old man. And most of the class were well, women in that sort of age group, or even a little bit older. But a couple of young men were just horrified. And one guy said, "You can't do this. This, is, this woman is old enough to be a grandmother." Yes. <laughs> well, well, yes. <laughs> it's
1: extraordinary, and, and, isn't
0: it? And down to you know, she was a former actress, and you know, mm, mm. yeah. You know, we had quite an interesting discussion my, my, my philosophy on writing sex and I'm not sure I always get it right mm. is that you write about it as you, unless you're writing erotica or whatever, mm. you write about it as you would write about eating it's something that you expect your readers will have some experience with um, some of them are going to be gourmet, some of them are, are not. You, you you describe McDonald's. You, you, you don't have to dis, You don't. You know, if you're describing someone having a meal in a book, you don't describe how the food feels in the mouth, unless there's something really unusual about it. You don't. You don't. You don't say. You, know, you, you don't go pages and pages describing it. You say, "I had a, had a very a thoroughly good meal," or, or, or you say there was a lot of palaver before the meal, or we uh, the, the meal went on for. You know, for ages, and I, I was, you know, stuffed or whatever it was. So you, you tell you tell mm. it um, in, a, in a reasonably factual way, mm. without without on the one hand being um, uh, tweet coy about it. You know, we now draw a discreet veil over what happened, you know, you know, or they now sat down and we won't talk about what they ate. <laughs> um, and nor do you um, do you roll around in it too much. And I think it's yes, just yes. finding the right balance. The
1: right balance. And I guess um, I guess that's something that uh, needs a vivid imagination as well. <laughs> well, well,
0: the alternative is to research it. Um, <laughs> as Don would. <laughs> well, well, quite. I mean, and you know, once once again, I think um, you want to write as much as you can from life. And mm. you know, I'm not suggesting you, you sort of rush out and cheat on your partner in order to get you know, to get experience or anything like that. Mm. But but I think you can you can look at your your life you can look at the conversations you have with friends you can ask mm. what if and so forth mm. but i mm. but i would always avoid writing stuff um, secondhand because i've read it in mm. some book somewhere mm. Mm. whatever because i'm i'm now now have no confidence in what i'm putting on the page
1: mm. Mm. well that's interesting i think it's time we talked about the rosie project a <laughs> little bit more um I um, I was intrigued with some of the characters in the book. Uh, obviously, Don, uh, we've talked a little bit about. But Jean, the phil- philandering professor. Um, I really think that what you did so beautifully in this book is that all the way through the book, we have Jean, who is a professor who is... Well, you tell us, working his way through different countries. To tell us about his Philandry.
0: Gene is a guy who's got a map of the world and he's trying to score a woman from every country and put a pin in his map. So that's he's, he's And he's 50-something years old
1: and, and married. And married and with a wonderful wife,
0: uh, and in, a wonderful, and, caring in, wife. But in an ostensibly open marriage.
1: Yes, supposedly. Mm. Uh, well, what I think worked really well there is that in the end... Um, we have this moment where um, Don Tillman actually actually joins. Uh, Don breaks down his boundaries and becomes a player in the game of life. And with that, suddenly we have a new perspective on Gene. Yeah. He has a moral compass, which I love. That, yeah. that, that comes through.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Talk
1: about that. How well, did you come up with that? You
0: know, Gene. Gene's an interesting character for me, and for me he's the most interesting character in the novel. Put aside Don, mm. to, to some degree, because mm. I see him as the dark side of Don. Um, I say you know, Gene was the nerd at school who, who learned to fake it till he made it, as it right. were. And, but he's still got these insecurities. I mean, what yes. sort of person, except the nerd is going to put pins in the map, what sort of person yeah. will have that map on his wall to, to, to show it to other people? Um, yes. And why is he coaching Don... Well, because yes. nobody else would accept Gene's coaching on social skills, but Don <laughs> is impressed because he sees an objective measure of social skills, which is Gene yes. can score with all these, all these women. <laughs> and, and as Don studies up, as it were, on human relationships, he realises he sees Gene for what he is. Yes. Um, not, not because yes. Don suddenly And is has that
1: a something sad? Really, there, there's, a, there's a loss there as well, isn't well, it, well, of I, innocence?
0: Look, well, yes, there is a loss of innocence, um, but, but it's, it's an intellectual loss of innocence. It's not as though mm. Don suddenly becomes more empathetic. Don yes. learns some facts... Which, yes. which conflict with what Jean has told him mm. and he realizes that, that whatever Jean might be saying, his marriage to Claudia is at, is at risk and that Jean is behaving in a way which is cruel to, mm. to Claudia mm. um, And you know, and it, it is immature in many mm. ways. Mm. And, and you know Don goes and as a friend, he confronts him. so Don doesn't reject his friendship. No. Don Don confronts him in the same way that Gene has been coaching Don. Yes. He turns it around and says, "Now I've got some advice for you, my friend, as yes. it were." Yes, and which is a- and
1: that's powerful. That's a that's a lesson, you know, that. Um, that Jean could do with.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but it's very important to me that I I love all my characters. Mm. Um, I I must feel I can inhabit all of them, and even if they do bad things, there must be something Mm. behind that that Mm. we can empathise with. Mm. Um, I don't want to just pin people up and say, here's here's the baddie comes in. Mm. So, um, and I think in the second book, we Mm. see quite a lot more depth to Gene. I mean, he's still mm. got these phalan- you know, I've had people read the book and say, you know, he's a fantastic guy, except for that one small fault. <laughs> <laughs> I say, well, it's not a very small fault. Not a very small
1: <laughs> fault at all. It's very interesting. And, um, and I think that the next question I want to ask you is about the sequel. Yes. Is it difficult when you've had one really successful book is, there, is it difficult to come up with a second successful book because it seems like you have?
0: <laughs> well, well I, I think there's a, a bunch of questions in there, particularly mm. um, since you added the word successful to, to the, the... Yes, to the, yes. I, I think um, if you're lucky enough to have a successful book, uh, one thing is to, is to re- recognise that you've been lucky to have a successful book. There are good yes. books out there that don't don't enjoy that sort of success. Mm. Mm. Um, but the, the difficulties are sort of, I guess, threefold. Um one is: Are you going to? Is the psychological one? Are you intimidated by the success mm. of the first book? Mm. The second is, I guess, more about the process of writing. Having done one, having yes. told the one story you have inside you, ca- can you do another one? Yes. And I guess the third one is about the success aspect. Um, how important is it that the third one, is the second right. book, is as successful? So, yeah. so I would say, it was. Let me take the middle, the technical Mm. one first. Mm. Technically, this was much, much easier to write than the first book. And and the reason was that I had the toughest work done already, which was the characters and the voice. The voice of Don Tillman, the nice things that Helen Elliott said about the precision and so on the writing that yes. came out of Don Tillman's voice and getting it right so I yes. knew that my man I knew how he had this the mm-hmm. second toughest thing in the, the book was the character of Rosie I already had that in place I had minor characters so really it was a lot of my hardest work had already been done so yes. technically it was a much and also I'd had a practice It's always easier to do something the second time. Um, It it doesn't matter whether it's cooking something, fixing a car engine or something like that. Once you've done it once, that jump to the second time is a big jump. So I I knew what worked for me. Um, There are obviously some things that work for all authors and some that work for some authors. I knew all of that stuff. So so that made it 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 much easier to write. Mm -hmm. So then you come to the sort of psychological thing, can't you? you Are you going to be pressured and, and so forth? And look, I've done other jobs in my life in information technology and teaching and so forth. I don't find writing any harder. Mm. I think it's it can be at times very difficult intellectual work. Sometimes it's quite easy and flows because you're mm. inspired, but no worse than anything else. So mm. um, with that confidence that I'd done it once before, mm. you know, I, I, I wasn't too yeah. worried about it. I'm used to working to deadlines, all of mm. that. So that was all comfortable too. I guess that just that thing. You know, can I top the first? book? can I do better? Yes,
1: and that must that must be a question that that haunts successful writers. It does you know, some? Is it going to be a one hit wonder? You know.
0: It does haunt some writers. Mm-hmm. Um, I was happy enough to have a three book contract, so it was going to get published or, or, or rejected. My my, um, my thing here is that I decided I could die happy if like, the Rosie Project got published. So. Everything else is gravy. It's a bonus. But, but mm. fr- everything else from publication of the Rosie Project mm. onwards, mm. it's success, it's, it's international stuff, is gravy. And I just remind myself, this we're only talking about the quality of the gravy. You, you've done what you wanted. Exactly. This is, now you're in the fun territory. And you can't get it upset because you're number two on the New York Times bestseller list and not number one. You're, you're yes. Otherwise, you, that, that way. Like, And the other thing is you can't expect, well, I don't expect, that every book will be better than the last one. In no. Every, no. In every one. No. Yes. I would like it to be I would like to be prouder of every book in terms of my own because mm. so, um, that, I don't expect that
1: self-satisfaction it. is also a very large part of writers but isn't I mean, it because you're driven from from within not from without you know
0: Well us try right, but you something well no but the the external validation you know, it's nice to earn money absolutely that, but yeah. you know say with the Rosie project I always say, look, I just hit the zeitgeist there I hit mm, something that people mm, that mattered mm, to mm, people mm. and the next book might not hit the zeitgeist and yet be as, as fine a piece of work um, of writing as as the others or even even better it might win a prize Mm -hmm. Um, Well,
1: I noticed that you've won prizes for a lot of your short stories too. (laughs) I've got this uh, short story um, about the marathon that you wrote. That came third somewhere. Second. Second. Second Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Three (laughs) encounters with the physical. That was... That was a fascinating story, and I want to ask you about that because there's a, a childhood uh, marathon you did in Canberra. and i a interviewing... childhood marathon. <laughs> right, okay. So let me read the first two lines of this short story. It's called Three Encounters with the
0: Physical. And it's up on the net.
1: And it's on the net. Um, tomorrow you will add another line to your life resume. Check another item off the bucket list. At 51 years old, with a PhD, a successful business, passport stamps from 47 countries and a novel in progress, you will run your first marathon. And it's a sensational story about endurance and and pushing yourself beyond the limit, and I'm not going to spoil it, you need to read it. (laughs) Okay, but let
0: me make a point, since we've got um, writers listening... The important thing is that that introduction that Suzanne just read is in second person future, so so <laughs> it, so it was in some ways it was a little intellectual exercise for me mm. because I wanted to write in three different persons and in um, three different tenses, in three That's different basic fantastic. tenses.
1: This is the joy of writing, isn't it? To 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 to, I guess, workshop all of these things with yourself?
0: <laughs> well, well, sometimes when I'm looking for an idea for a short story, and here's a little trick for people, write down all the ideas that you've got for stories, um, and they can be ideas about themes, they can be ideas about you know, a narrative, or a character, or they can be an, an idea about style. You know, I'd like to write this whole thing in in you know, second person, yes. present tense, or whatever. And then pick your favourite idea and go through the list and try to find another idea to match it with because your individual ideas will not be all that original. But <laughs> right. the combination of two of them is likely yes. to be quite original. Yes. So my marathon story by itself I found a little yes. dull, but the marathon story was really lifted yes. when, I, when I thought I want to write something in, um, in the three tenses, the three um, points of view, the three persons.
1: I and noticed that changing of point of view in yeah, the story yeah, right. and so I, I just thought that was fascinating. So I
0: thought when when mm. might you use let's start with the most tricky second person future no yes you will when will you ever say you will and you think mm. that's that you say to yourself when you're trying to rev yourself up you will mm. not give up and yes. so on so yes. that's the gist of the marathon and then the story's in three quite distinct compartments of it pieces yes. Where the first one is, is revving himself, you will do this, you mm. will do that. The second part is quite distant. We're now in third person because he's lying in hospital, in intensive care, and he does this, he does that. It's almost like you're yes. almost leaving the body. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, but it's past tense too. So he, he yes. did this, he did that. So it's yes. quite distant. And then in the very last section, do give it, it away. It, it's in the very last section. <laughs> it's in first person present. Yes. And but each of them has a, a purpose. Right. So each of them has a purpose. But the both the, the mm. purposes of those um, mm. those styles and the, the messages they were trying to mm. convey you know, actually actually ended up working in, together very well and inspired yeah. each other.
1: Yeah, and, and it, we, it drove the narrative
0: beautifully. And it's oh, a nice just, example of just using a short story to do something you wouldn't yeah. do in a novel to just... Well, well you so, might, but to learn. Talking
1: about short stories and experimentation, The Guardian had a Twitter fiction competition. <laughs> oh, that was a while ago, <laughs> yeah. And uh, here, the uh, competition, the, the um, challenge for writers was to write... Can you write a story in 140 characters in Twitter? And uh, once again, a prize winner, (laughs) Graham, wrote this one. I'm going to read it to you. Strangers swap shy smiles. He scrawls, then is gone. In his place, a paper swan. She turns it in her palm every day. Still folded, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. It was wonderful. Did it take you long to do that? Did you play with it a lot? Did oh you? yeah.
0: <laughs> well, well, look, it this, was. You yeah. know what? It's a story that a psychiatrist friend told me. Really. Yep. Yeah, so so the story came pretty much straight from him. I I, right. I, you know, I barely tuned it. He just said, yes. you know, There was this girl, and, and someone left a swan on the seat, yeah, and she yeah. never opened it. Oh. Um, and and I, I actually made a film of it. I made a one-minute film.
1: Oh, did you? One-minute
0: silent film. And you know, I'm actually. Doing a story based on the same thing but taking a different direction. I mean, it's such right. an interesting incident. But now I've yes. imagined the psychiatrist is on the tram, right, and he sees yes. this happen, and, and the girl goes off without picking up the the folded crane, as it turns out. Right. Um, she goes because everybody's it's watching. like it. sliding doors. Everybody, everybody's <laughs> watching. Everybody, <laughs> right. and, and and somebody else picks up the swan um, or the crane, and t- and follows the girl. Right. To, to say uh, to give it to her, and he goes off after the uh, the boy to say come on you know you've always missed out because he's got his own issues about not having seized an opportunity and I made a story yes. out of that so yes. um, so it's it's the real life stuff whether it comes to you absolutely directly or via someone who's told you a story but it's in that human context not Graham, reading it yeah do
1: you believe in love at first sight do you believe that can happen
0: <laughs> I believe in attraction at first sight um, but love look some of the marketing for the Rosie Project has been you don't find love love finds you I totally disagree with that I think it's rubbish it makes it sound like you sit around (laughs) on the the sofa waiting for it to find you I think as, as, as a guy in his 50s he's been married for 25 years I say you don't find love you make it Yes. So I believe you may well have that attraction at first sight and you may build love on that. But if we talk about anything beyond that first year or two, you make it, you don't find it.
1: And I think we'll finish with the analogy that that's the same with writers. You have to make it yourself. It's not something that the moose suddenly strikes you from nowhere and you become brilliant. <laughs> Look, there's
0: two things here, and let me finish on that. Yes. The, the, the making it rather than finding it applies to yourself. We're all born with certain talents. We're all rich a certain age with certain talents and abilities. It's never, I don't think, enough to, to write your best novel. You've got, to, you've got to make yourself the writer. And when it comes to writing a novel, you will get a lot of things right... But then you've got to make the rest.
1: Thank you. I could talk to you all day, but you've got to catch a plane <laughs> I do. and we're at the airport. Thank you so much, so Graham. Much, Suzanne. It was wonderful. Thank you, Thank you very you. much.
0: Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from au, And if you are a reader or a writer, then hop on over to our website and subscribe.